On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time. For years, we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing persons. We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished. Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases. Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing so well today, Tim. How are you? I am doing great, Lance. Thanks for asking. And uh, in this episode today, this is an emotional conversation we have with a mother, a woman named Donna Green, who lost her baby, Raymond Green, at five days old. Yes, and when you say that this is an emotional conversation, it is emotional. It runs the entire gambit of emotions. We we have a couple of laughs, and we also share some really touching moments that uh, Donna uh, provides to us, is gracious enough to share with us. But this is uh, the personification of someone who is a, a woman of faith, a, a, a person of faith. And I'm not just speaking about that in the religious sense, but she has faith that everything will be okay. And uh, she even has a comment during this interview where she she knows that Raymond is the next in line. When there's some other child that's been found, she knows that's one step closer to Raymond. And it is entirely possible that Raymond can be found. He was stolen in November of 1978, and he's been missing for over 40 years now. And Donna has not given up her search in all of that time. And her devotion to this is truly inspirational. Yeah, you can say that again, Lance. And her advocacy efforts are truly remarkable as well. And she's done a couple interviews with friends of ours, um, Laura and Brooke from The Fall Line. She's been on Rebecca Sebastian's podcast, Dialogue. And you can't listen to her and not be touched by her story. And Donna also hosts a radio show. And she's got a website. She's got a nonprofit, I believe, but actually, and honestly, she needs some help. She needs a volunteer or or maybe more than one to maybe help her with some of this stuff. She wants to help turn her radio show into a podcast, and we're game for that. But I think we just need some help, too. Um, so if anyone out there listening right now is just touched by this story and wants to get involved and wants to help Donna in her mission, please reach out to us or reach out to her. Um, you can find our emails where Tim at Crawl Space Podcast, Lance at Crawl Space Podcast, and you can reach right out to Donna Green. You can find her. There are links in the show notes. Right. And you're saying that she needs help. And I just want to emphasize that a bit. She needs help because, again, her son was stolen when he was five days old. There's no pictures of him that exist as an adult. There's no evidence like a car left behind or some sort of uh, clothing left behind. He was literally taken out of his crib and, and the person walked away with him and likely got on a bus and was gone. And so that's why she needs help. It's not for lack of anything other than there's how do you search for somebody who has only been alive for five days and it's been over four decades? So, um, yeah, the, the, the digital recreations that they've made of Raymond 
are all taken from uh, Donna's other children and her husband, who was um, who stood by her the entire time. So these this is all like the best guess they can have at what Raymond would look like. So any any help anywhere is appreciated, including the GoFundMe that she has, which is GoFundMe.com, and it's looking for Raymond Green, and it's a nonprofit that she's started. Uh, she has a goal of $10,000, which is totally achievable, and we all know how much uh, $10,000 can mean to somebody who's looking for their child. That's right. It's a tragic story, Lance. And check out Donna's website. It's DonnaGreen48.wixsite, which is W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com slash Raymond Green. There's also a link in the show notes. Okay, everybody, thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. Follow us on social media at MissingCSM. And as usual, be sure to check out all of our fine programs at crawlspace-media.com We are being joined now by Donna Green. Donna, how are you today? I am fabulous. What about you? We're doing so well. We're so happy to have you on. We had a conversation with you a week ago, I think, where it was just an right. icebreaker getting to know you. And um, we all ended that conversation and we, we independently, we uh, reached out to each other um, ourselves. Tim, Jen, and I, we were like... We're like, oh God, Donna's amazing. Like, like you just, we're 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 like, uh, we want to we want to be adopted as like your your nephews and nieces. It's if, if that can be arranged, let us know. But consider it done. <laughs> but no, it was it was such a great conversation. Your story is simultaneously tragic and and I don't want to say fascinating, but it's fascinating. Like your your story is yeah. fascinating. But we'll we'll get into that. Um, I uh, just wanted to thank you for coming on, taking the time out of your day to do this. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be on your show. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, we first heard you on uh, our friend Rebecca Sebastian's show, Dialogue, and uh, really just affected by your story and um, really just had to speak with you about your son, Raymond, and about your search for him and your advocacy efforts as well. I would love to talk to you about that. Your story is a lot different from the ones that we typically cover where there's a missing child. Typically the child was 17, 18, 19 or, or older. There's some sort of indication of, of how they went missing, like a, a car, an abandoned car or um, series of events that happened leading up to the day. But your story is unique. Uh, tell us why is your story unique with Raymond? Well, one of the reasons why Raymond's story is so unique is because first of all, he was five days old when he went missing. And he went missing from my home. I was 16 and having a baby. And at, at the hospital, after I had Lamar, Raymond Lamar is what I named him, a young lady walked up to me uh, as I was standing there at the nursery looking at Raymond. A young lady walked up to me and introduced herself as Lisa. And she said she was there because she had a sister that had just had a baby. And she actually pointed to a little girl um, and said that was her niece. And so we talked for a little while while I was there. And then when I went to, when I got ready to dismiss myself to go to the room, she asked, could she come to the room with me because she, um, her sister was sleeping. She didn't want to disturb her. Well, I didn't think anything of it. So I told her, sure, you can come to the room. She came to the room and we talked for a little while. She came back the next day and we talked. She came back that evening and we talked some more. The next day when she came back, she was asking me a lot of questions like, what's your baby whole name? What's the daddy name? You and the daddy together, stuff like that. Well, I'm thinking at 16, you know, this is just somebody that I met that's going to be a potential friend. So I'm telling her all the things that she asked, all the information that she asked for. So when I got ready to go home, she came back in and she said, I told her I was going to go. And she said, well, can I get a ride home? Uh, my ride left me. Can I get a ride home? And I asked her, you know, I asked the people that was taking me home and they said, sure. 
So the, the reason how, how she found out where I lived that they dropped me and the baby off first, me and Raymond off first before they took her. And so um, later on, a couple of days later, three, three, let's see, four days later, she showed up at my house. And I thought it was strange that she showed up at my house. But then when I asked her, because I looked out the door and I didn't see a car, I'm like, how did you get here? She was th- she said, well, I came on the bus. It was November and it was cold. So I'm thinking, wow, she must really want to be my friend to come over here on the bus. At 16, that's what I'm thinking, to come way over here on the bus just to see me. You know, when she came in the house, we talked. I had people coming in and out to see the baby. We talked. And then when I got ready, I said, well, I need to go take a shower and freshen up. She said, well, I'll, I'll just wait on you. I'll just stay right here and wait on you. Well, I had a funny feeling then. Something inside of me just wasn't right, but I've never had that feeling before, so I, I didn't know how to, what to do with it. So what I did is I just woke my brother. My, well, not woke my brother. My brother was um, watching TV and nodding to watch the TV. So I was like, hey, watch the baby. I'm going upstairs to take a shower. And he said, okay. I guess I was in the shower. I was freshening it up. I had been up there about 20 minutes or so. And then some just kept telling me to go downstairs, go downstairs. And when I, I, I rushed down the steps. And when I got down there, I didn't see the baby on the sofa. My brother was asleep. And I woke him up and asked where the baby was. And he was like, well, the baby started crying and your friend picked him up and started walking. Uh, because in order to get to the door, you have to go down a little hall and just start walking with the baby. And so I ran to the door and she was gone. That was the last time I ever seen her or Raymond. Wow. That is... Uh... You were 16 years old. Where did this happen? In Atlanta, Georgia. This is in Atlanta, Georgia. And how old was the woman who stole your baby, who stole Raymond? You know, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to say 19 or 20, maybe. Um, when I called the police and everything, they said that, that um, everything that she told me was a lie, probably, and that um, they were black marketing and selling babies then overseas that's what this particular police officer said that may have been what happened i don't know and and what did she tell you what kind of things was she telling you that uh that were lies i don't know they the police just particularly said that maybe probably everything that she told me was a lie like her name probably wasn't lisa i never saw her hair because she always wore a scar um she had a mold on the left side i think of her cheek but they said it was probably penciled in or something so that probably wasn't the baby at the hospital that that probably now whether they did they investigate all that and let me know i don't know i never knew what the investigation was or anything like that so i don't know based on what i told them what was true and what wasn't true because i don't know what they did and how long after you discovered raymond was stolen did you call the police was it right then and there immediately okay yeah can you walk us through that? Because I'm curious what their reaction is to something like that. And and did you feel, how panicked did you feel? I can imagine being 16 years old and feeling a, an enormous panic. I was, yeah, I was scared to death. And, um, you know, I called the police. The police came. I think it was maybe two cars came out, took my story. That was it. They came back maybe one more day asked me a couple more questions and then I, it was nothing else. So I was feeling real scared alone, but you know, it based on TV, I'm thinking now that they got all the information, I'm just sitting there waiting on them to bring the baby home. Cause that's what happens on TV. Right. You know, um, I never thought a million years that 43 years later, I'd be still looking for Raymond. It's remarkable. What area of Atlanta did you live in? Can you describe the, the demographic? Yeah, I lived in a project. I lived over off Prior Road in a, a place called Carver Homes, and that was one of the projects in the city. We had like 999 units in the apartments, I think it was. Big apartment complex. Take me back to when you first met Lisa. Where uh, where did you first meet her? At the hospital. I was standing at the um, nursery where the babies were. That's why I met her. I was just standing there. She walked up and, and, and started standing next to me. She For a while, we didn't say anything. And then she asked which one was my baby. And I pointed to my baby. And he talked about how beautiful he was. And then she pointed to a little girl and said that was her niece. 
and she was here with her sister. That's why I first met her. And you described her a little bit, but is there a, um, a more detailed description that you have given and you can give? Um, she was about five, six, five, seven. She was real, real fair-skinned. I like I said, I never saw her hair. She did have a uh, a mold somewhat on her face. Beautiful smile. That's pretty much, uh, you know, because the, the the I guess the main thing that what I could she she wore black. I mean, a brown leather jacket. That's pretty much what I remember. And you also said that uh, the police had suggested to you that this could be something where a child is stolen and sold on the black market overseas um, for various reasons. Did they say that as in a way where it was very factual or did they say maybe? I mean, it sounds like a very specific thing to suggest to you. They didn't say it like it was factual. They just said he particularly, I think it was uh, Sweeney, Detective Sweeney just made that statement. Whether it was factual or not, I don't know. Now, he said, like, this probably what happened. He didn't say it that way either. He just kind of, this may have happened to him. I, re- I really didn't get a lot of um, help from the police. And I, and I, and I, I know it's probably because the area I lived in, the fact that I was poor and I was Black, um, I didn't get a lot of help. Was that something that they told you was common in your area because you were poor and because you lived in the black community. Was that something that you had heard of that that community was targeted for child theft? No, I've never heard. Of, I've never heard of that before. I said before um, Raymond got missing. I had never heard of anybody getting missing or anything like that. And, and, and maybe that was why I was so trusting because what could happen? You know, I never heard that before. So I don't think that that uh, no, they never told me anything like that. Never mentioned to me. I know a couple of years later, a young lady was taken from Grady, but they found that child. When is the last time you spoke with the police about Raymond's case? I'm always in and out with them. I'll call them. They don't call me. I'll call them. Sometimes it, it may be a year. When I first started back reaching out to them, Raymond had been missing for about 25 years when I first started back reaching out to them. And the only thing I wanted was the case. Like, I just wanted to see what they did in the case so I could figure out what to do. But they didn't have a case. It was missing. They didn't have it. So I couldn't even get that from them. You know, the only thing that I did get from them, and the reason why I did that was because I, I thought that he would automatically go on National Missing Children, but he wasn't on National Missing Children because they didn't have a case on him. So they suggested that I go down to the, to the, to, uh, get, you know, the case information and the case number. Well, the police didn't. The police didn't have that. You know, matter of fact, they act like I was um, some crazy lady that was coming down there talking about a child that was missing for twenty some years. They act like I was some crazy lady, and the only way I proved it is I had to go to the library and pull up a little bit of article that they had and take it down there. And that they gave me. They just gave me a, um, a sheet of paper saying I said what happened in a number, so he can go to National Missing Children. So how, how, what kind of investigation they had, if they even investigated, I don't know. Because uh, years ago, about six, seven years ago, perhaps, Devin Finley, which was a, um, a newscast, a, a news uh, reporter, got in touch with me. And he was saying he had looked over the case and he said that, you know, Raymond's case had, you know, just had no justice and we would do it so wrong. And he, he actually found me in Chattanooga, Tennessee, because I had moved out of Atlanta and moved into Chattanooga, Tennessee. And um, he, I asked them, I asked the police, did they know the, uh, the, the detective or where could I talk to the detective that was over the case? They said that they didn't know where he was and blah, blah, blah. And when I talked to Devin, Devin was like, no, he, had, he got to have something, uh, uh, you know, something that connect him. Well, he found him. And when he found him, I was so happy that he found him because now I can get some answers. He remembered, the, 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 the detective remembered the young lady that they found the two years prior to that, after Raymond got missing. He remembered everything around that, but he said when he brought up my case, he just, he, he didn't remember it and didn't want to really talk about it. He just didn't remember it at all. He kind of just killed that noise real quick. And, um, you know, he just remembered nothing about that case, period. You know, that was very hurtful to me because, to me, it was just another indication of saying Raymond didn't matter. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's terrible. 
Um, wh- how does it go when you when you talk to the police uh, nowadays when you when you call them? You know, they'll talk to me. They don't have anything, anything like that. But I guess just to say they talk to me. I mean, I don't know what can I expect them to do. Is is forty some years later. I mean, I keep in touch with them just to for myself, just to keep telling myself that Raymond do matter. You know that. You know, I just keep in touch with them so they'll know who I am and they'll know who my son is because if I don't, they won't. Well, good. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, yeah. You said that a reporter reached out to you, uh, I guess, recently. What was the press like at the time? Was there anything at the time of Raymond's disappearance? No. At that, at the time, Raymond disappeared. Like I said, um, two police officers came the first day. One came the second day. It was no trying to find a scour in the area or any of that stuff there. No helicopters and all that stuff there. Um no crowd around, anything like that. So, no. No newspaper. Well, one guy came from the newspaper, and that's how I got that little article in the back of the paper. That was it. It just wasn't, it wasn't a lot done. And now, when I see the things that's done now, when somebody goes missing, a child goes missing and stuff like that, I'm so happy to see all the things going on because when Raymond went missing, nothing at all happened. And you do a lot of advocacy work now uh, for for other missing persons cases too. Can you tell us a little bit about that in your radio show? Well, I do spotlight on on cold, on cold cases mostly. Uh, someone that's missing, and I do that because I know how I felt felt when Raymond went missing, and I felt like nobody cared. And so, what I do for other families is if, if somebody give me a case or I found out about a child that's missing or something like that. What I do is we'll kind of go to the area. I don't care if he was missing 15 years ago. Um, we'll go to the area that he was last missing at. You know, uh, we traffic that area. Maybe 15 or 20 of us show up with flyers and posters and just trying to bring memories back to what happened to that person or that kid or whatever. So that people, so that family, that family will know that they just not forgotten that we haven't forgot about them. You know, because I know when somebody mentioned Raymond, like what you guys doing now, you know, you, you, you interviewing me about what happened with my son. That means a lot to me. That means that somebody care about what happened. So I don't know what those families are thinking, but what I don't want them to feel like is don't nobody care, you know, like their child don't matter because it does. They love one don't matter. It does. And, and so that's when we go out in the cold. We go out in the rain. We go out in the heat, you know, to, to, to spotlight these cases just to bring awareness back to them. Fantastic. That's what we do with the radio show. We, we 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 offer a platform for people to come in and tell their story their way. You know, so if a child is missing, even if it's just he just got missing yesterday or some teenager, maybe a runaway or something like that, if they get in touch with me, I put it on the show. You know, and I ask people to share the the, the flyer or do you know whatever, just so the family will know. That, you know, that's what we can do. We're not detectives or anything like that. We don't go out looking, but what we can do, that's what we do. And I always feel like I'm not doing enough. You know, I always feel like it's it's more to be done. I would, you know, I just don't know what else I can do. It's in my ability to do, but whatever comes up, then that's what I do. Yeah, it's incredible what you do. And, and really, we commend you for it because it does feel like at times from our point of view, and we don't have a, a loved one who's missing, so we can't speak on that end, but it does at times feel like you're swimming against a current, right? And you just keep getting hit yeah. and hit and hit because it just doesn't stop. Like every day, and you, right. you probably get the same thing. Every day there's a new story. Some, you know, yeah, that's a new story, right? An, another, another child's missing, or or you find out about a child who's been missing for so long, and you're like, why is no one talking about this one? Then you start seeing like the 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 um the social uh scenario that this person was raised in or their economic situation and it just opens up yet another you know it peels back another layer and you say okay well maybe this, something over here needs to change in order to prevent this so it does feel like this wave after wave after wave it's not a straightforward story none of them are they're all unique and it's amazing that you highlight each one of them and and you make sure that the family knows that these uh children have not been forgotten um do you have an event coming up do you why do you, why I I gotta ask this question? Oh, why sure. do you do what you do? Why why do you all do what you all do? The money. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> no, we want to make a difference. I, I think that that is ultimately what drives us. We want to matter. Yeah, we, we started doing a show about one missing person, and then we realized as we continued that this was a pandemic. This was a situation that was out of control. And then again, it just started opening up other doors to other problems. And and if you've established a platform where you can raise awareness for, for issues and you're passionate about it, it just kind of like we uh, narrated us, you know, we're, we're all of a sudden we're on the path and now we're, we're on the path. And that's just um, in the wise words of Todd Matthews, we're not the people that we're supposed to be, or we're not the people that, what did he say? He's not the person he was supposed to be based on like how he was raised in his environment. And he was going to be, you know, just following the footsteps of his family. Sometimes the path just comes along and you're on it. And there you go. Mm. Now you're, now you're, now you do your best. Um, yeah. And if you realize you can make a change then try to make a change, I guess. So, ha- ha- but has it, has it, and I know y'all interviewing me, but I just want to ask questions too. Let's just have a conversation. Has sure. it changed your life? Has it, has it changed your life? Like b- before you did this, now that you're doing this, has, has this information and the people that you come in t- contact with and the knowledge that you ha- has it changed your life? A hundred percent in, in a, a variety of ways. Um, whether it be with uh, friendships, um, relationships, sort of meeting new people who become a part of our lives that never would have been before. But also there's more empathy, I think, than there ever has been before because uh, we do a lot of listening on these shows and we do a lot of talking and sort of trying to get, trying to break down things and get to the root of the problem and see if there's some kind of solution that we can offer. So yeah, yeah, it it's changed it's changed our lives in any every single way I can think to be honest. This conversation has changed my life. Like th- every time we talk to somebody who's lost somebody and you you hear their story, it just opens up a another I keep saying like another door. Like it just opens up another uh, opens up an, a, an another a part of reality that I didn't know was there, you know? I didn't I've never, I've never personally met anybody who's lost, uh, whose whose child was stolen from them at five days old, and and now that that possibility is now a reality to me. Mm-hmm. And and you you said that she had a beautiful smile. That was pretty remarkable to us. Um, that you uh, you know you actually said that about this the woman who took Raymond. You know you sort of complimented her. And again, back to why we do this. Um, Something like that is why, honestly, we have met you, you've had a missing loved one, your son for 40 years, and you can then compliment that woman who did something awful. And um, that is something that affects us. I know it's kind of hard to put into words, but. I think that um, I was asked on my show, did I hate her? I, I don't hate her. And, 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 and then somebody asked, uh, emailed me and said, how I saw on your show, how can you not say you hate her? She stole your son. And, and my, my, and I answered it on the show. My, my answer to that was that she took away the first time he walked first day of school, first day of high school, first, you know, his graduation, you know, his first girlfriend and all that. She took all that away from me. Why would I give her anything else? Why, why would I, because if I hated her or felt anything for her, then that would be energy in my body that I'm holding against her. I'm not going to give her that. I, I won't give her anything else. She's took, she took a jewel from me. Why would I give her anything else? Why would I have anything, hold anything in, in my body, in my energy for her? I, I won't do it. You know, I won't do it. So how, how would I feel? Because, you know, it came up the Kamaya Mobley story and how that that mom, you know, she didn't want her Kamaya calling her mom because she wasn't her mom, you know. And somebody asked me, well, suppose your son called a lady that he that took him if, if uh, somebody else's mom. How would you feel about that? I wouldn't like it. You know, I don't know because I'm not in that situation. She was right there in that situation. I, but I wouldn't like it. You know what I'm saying? 
But I, I just cannot find, I can't feel seeing me having anything for her at all in me. I don't hate her because I know hate is not of God, but I just won't hold anything for her in my, in my spirit, in my being at all. I just won't do that. I won't give her that satisfaction. Was that way of thinking and that point of view something that you decided early on, or was it something gradual that you realized you had to do? I, it was gradual. No, early on, I, I I hated her, and I was I hated her, and I was mad at me because it, that not only affected me in that way. For years, I wouldn't even make a decision for myself because I made a, a major decision when I opened the door and let her in. And she took my baby. So that was, see, I was supposed to be the one to keep him safe. And I was supposed to be the one to make sure he was okay. I actually opened the door and invited her in and she took my baby. So I hated her and I didn't like me much either, you know, uh, because of that. So I had to do a whole lot of mental stuff to get to this point. I had to do a whole lot of mental stuff because at the end of the day, Regardless of what we said, how we said, I still opened the door and invited her in. Did this take um, a toll on your brother as well? No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say not really, because remember when I asked him, where was the baby? And I told you, he said, your friend uh, picked the baby up because I'm sitting there talking to her. So in his mind, she was my friend. So he felt comfortable enough to gnaw it off because he was my friend. You know, that's what he was thinking. So not not really. I think I, I bear the, the burden, the blunt of that burden uh, with Raymond being missing. It took me years to just say, OK, you were 16, you know, but you cannot change the fact that I did open the door and let her in. That's just real talk. you know. I opened the door and let her in. I invited her in. I didn't know that that was going to happen. I just thought I was, she was, you know, going to be a friend. I was just, I was naive. Have you forgiven yourself now for that? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Good. And that that's important. It's important to take the um, responsibility, forgive yourself, and and then you know, heal from that. And since then you've had other children and, and mm -hmm. you're, you're, uh, I don't, I don't personally know the dynamics you have with your children, but I imagine <laughs> from our conversations that you're a wonderful mother. Ah, thank you. Yeah. They, they think I'm a pretty fantastic mother <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would imagine so. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. Not to get super personal, but what was that like when you decided to have the, the, the first child after Raymond? You know, I, I, what I did was I put all of my energy and everything. I, I covered them and I, I kept them so close. And my son told me when he was a teenager, he was like, mama, it's like you and I was skin. Like we can't breathe everywhere you go because I was so scared that somebody was going to take them. And, and all of my scenarios was if you go out here and did somebody, you know, so I really, really come. It, I had to pray hard to just let them walk to the store as a teenager by themselves or, or something like that, you know. And then when they got grown and moved out, it was so hard for me because I couldn't take care of them. I couldn't make sure it wasn't nobody going to take them. You know what I'm saying? So it was very hard for me after I started having them. Um, I was stressed a lot of times just because of my thought process. It's a mental thing um, because of my thought process of how I, you know, what could happen. All these things in my head, what could happen. Uh, yeah, I was pretty stressed with them. I had to really let them go. Well, then I had to talk to kids that if I didn't let them go, they was going to go in away. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I imagine that that would be a tough, uh, tough sort of thing to balance. Yeah. And I also imagine trust was, was something that was difficult to come by afterwards. Did it make it easier to heal um, and forgive yourself 
realizing that this was a dishonest person who did this to you and it wasn't like a, a good person necessarily? Um, that's a good question. No, 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 it didn't. Um, I, I think my healing came because I, I struggled with forgiving myself and see, it was never about her. I, everything was about me in my mental. If you understand what I'm saying, it was never about her because I opened the door. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because I invited her in. Because I let her hold my baby when she said, can I hold him? And I put him in her arms, you know, and then I, I, I felt something. And then I, I, I reached for him and got him back and just laid him on the sofa and, and pat him back to sleep. But if, had I understood what I was feeling, something was warning me that something just wasn't right. But I, I didn't have that feeling before, so I didn't know how to identify with that. So for a long time, it just wasn't about her. It was about me. and. The fact that I opened the door, that's so simple. And I know you may not understand what I'm saying, but I opened the door. You know, I let her in. I I conversated with her, you know. Yeah, so I never even thought anything could happen like that. Never did. So it wasn't about, but did I think she was a sick person? You come in the house and you take somebody's baby. So the, the police officer just said she befriended me. She was dad is still a baby. That was her whole goal at the hospital probably was to steal a baby. And she befriended me to get Raymond. So I was I was pretty naive because I I should have saw that. I should have, I don't know. But 16, I was just naive. Did you ever find yourself looking for her? Yeah, I still do. I still do. I I I'd be in a crowd somewhere and I I'd be looking at somebody and you know, um, or I'm looking to see if that could be my son. He looks just like his dad. He, you know, all this here stuff. I do all that. Or he kind of look like the lady that's the stole Raymond, you know. So I do all that. Did you ever think you saw her? Never. Never. It's like they just dropped off the, the planet. Like, I, I don't know whether they tried to find Raymond and couldn't find him. I don't know whether she, because sometimes I feel like he's so close and then there are so times I feel like he's so far away. So it's like she just, I don't know. It's just like she dropped off the face of the earth. I don't know. It is incredible that someone would plan something like that and fully execute it. Uh, I mean, with the the lack of empathy that's not even the right word but the you're missing something you know you're you're missing something when you've picked up someone else's child and you walk out with it i mean you're there's yeah. something that's right. just there's something off and i don't know how to describe it but the resolve that it takes to fully execute a plan like that from befriending you at the hospital going to a hospital with that in mind finding a person seeing that they're vulnerable and young seeing identifying the child and then just plotting it out to the point where you know that person lives and fully executing it blows my mind. I, I, I hope this person's found because first of all, that'd be amazing news. It and second be. of all, yes. psychologically speaking, I would love to know what goes on in someone's head like that to figure out how to prevent this in the future. Somehow it's a, it, it blows my mind. Right, because some, one of the theories was that she lost a baby and that she wanted the baby. Another theory was that she was taking babies and selling them to someone else. She was she was in a ring, some kind of baby selling ring or something like that. Either way, that you're right, she had to be totally to the left to even think like that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, was there ever a time where you thought that you had found Raymond? Yeah, I well, you know, the first time uh, I've had a few times where people had said that they was Raymond. The first time that happened, I was really, really, um, it was the guy was in Belize. He was in Belize and he wrote to um, someone, uh, Cynthia was lost and missing. He wrote to her and he was like, you know, I'm this lady's son. I know I'm his son, blah, blah, blah. 
And he was like, you can send the police down here, send anybody down here. I know I'm her son. I'm who she's looking for. Well, they did do a, a DNA um, on him. They got it down there and it wasn't him. But then there was another young man, you know, then that somebody else came and got in touch with my daughter and I uh, told my daughter that, you know, he's her brother, blah, blah, blah. That didn't pan out. And then there was someone reached out to my sister-in-law saying that he had been, you know, he was my family or whatever, my son and that one happened. But then it was a young, it was this lady reached out to me from Australia and she said, I think I found your son. And I didn't respond because that same week it was somebody came on my Facebook saying that he was my son. And she said it again, you know, so by the third time she said, you know, I think I found your son, but if, if, if you're not interested, I won't bother you anymore. And she reached out to my daughter. So I answered, you know, I, I reached back out to her and she told me about this young man that was in Germany and, you know, his story of how he was over there and this, that, and other. And, um, he reached out to me on Facebook. You know, she asked me, was it okay if he could just reach out to me on Facebook? I was like, sure, which is something that I never would do. I was like, oh, you know, normally I would be just, you know, talk to National Missing Children. If the DNA come back, we can talk. But this particular time, I felt like nobody was doing anything. The police, nobody. So I'm going to take everything in my own hands and I'm going to work my own case, you know. So I, 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 we talked and we talked and we talked. And I tell you the truth. I thought this man was my son. I everything, everything was just he was my son, you know. But after a year, we waited on the DNA for almost a year. But by that time, we had really bonded, and um, then the DNA came back; it was negative. He wasn't my son. That was, you know, and I and I felt like I knew he was my son because I knew God wouldn't put that on me like that, and I knew. God, no, I didn't have another place for a disappointment in my in my heart nowhere. You know, I just knew he knew that. So I was totally confident. All of the things just turned out to be that he was him. So when it wasn't him, that was a little, I was trying to throw it back because I just didn't want to close no more doors. I felt like I was at the door. All I was waiting on was the DNA. And when I got that DNA, I could open that door and walk in. So I knew that, that was him. And then I never felt like that about anybody else, but I felt like that about him. And then when I found out it wasn't him, I was just back out there in the wilderness again. Like, okay, where do I start now? How do I look? What do I do? You know? So yeah, I, I, but I feel like every time somebody come home, every time, that's why I pray, I always ask God to just ease somebody's mind today, you know, uh, change some mother's heart today. Let her see her child today. And I feel like every time somebody come home, Raymond is in that line somewhere. And, and if a child comes come shows up today, that means he's just getting closer and closer to his time coming home. Because one thing I do know for sure, God got the whole world in his hands. So that means me and Raymond, we connecting in God's hand. Because I know he got the whole world in his hand. So, yeah. This uh, individual who both of you thought was Raymond, even though he wasn't, it's still... A, a pretty fortunate situation that you met someone like this and, and you established a connection with this person, uh, despite the fact that the DNA didn't match, which is really cool. I, I think I, hearing you say that, um, do you still keep in touch with this person? Yeah. You know, I call him my son and he calls me mom and we talk like every other day. I look forward to one day going to see him like just in person, just meeting him in person. I want to do that. And I think when I start, because we was going to do it last year, but some came up, well, COVID came up a year before last, something else was going on. But, you know, I'm going to start once, once I really know I'm heading that way, I'm going to start just filming it, you know, to make sure that people know, because he was looking for his mom. I'm looking for my son and we connected on that level. He calls me his mom, you know, but it, it, he got such a powerful story within itself. You know, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to meeting him. Still on my journey looking for Raymond. But at that time, when I thought he was Raymond, I stopped looking for Raymond. I, I didn't even talk about Raymond missing anymore. I just knew that that was him. So, yeah, we, we, we're going to meet one day. I believe God going to bless us to meet one day. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about him? You mentioned on the phone that, that he's uh, sort of stuck in Germany right now. Is that true? Yeah, his story is he was taken over there um, 
as a child, or, or he was a, a legally adopted or something and taken over there. I don't know what happened, but he just ended up over there as a child on his own. Uh, and he said he's the person that had him just left one day at 11 years old and, and went to work and never came back. So he's kind of been on his own. And I remember a story that was on TV over there um, with the lady was saying that she remembered him begging as a child, just out begging for food and stuff. Um, so he's kind of like, he's, he don't know his real name. He don't have a social security number. Um, he can't get married. Uh, he can't drive. He can't do a whole lot of things because he's really unidentified. He don't know his real name. He don't know his birthday. He don't really know who he is. Um, so he's, he's unidentified over there. So he can't travel and he can't do anything like that. I don't even know how to wrap my head around that. How how does he get an apartment? How to how does that? Maybe maybe I'm digging a digging a hole I shouldn't be digging right now. I don't know how how does he exist as like unidentified? Because over there you have they have ways you know like with stateless people. You ever heard of stateless people? No, no, no. Okay, stateless people is people that don't have a a, a place to belong, so to speak, or Let's just say you go over to Germany or go out of the country and you 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 don't have any paperwork, you don't have anything, now you just stuck. Okay. That's stateless. So with those people, the government gives them, you know, uh, they put them in a little place. Cause I talked to the guy with a legal person of his, and he said he kind of lives like a pauper a little, you know. Um, but the government, he got he got he's in an apartment. You should talk to him. He's in an apartment and everything. He, he's just stuck. He can't really, he can't move around. Very talented young man, but he can't move around. He can't go to, he could go move around in Germany. And they have, a, it was years ago, a few years ago that they opened that up. Cause at first he just had to stay in one area. Now he can move around Germany, but that's all. He can't go out outside of the country and nobody else will take him because don't nobody know who he is. So nothing. I mean, he have no paperwork, anything. So yeah. Interest, interesting story. You should um, definitely check him out. Would absolutely love to talk to him. That's I, I. I've learned so much during this conversation. I didn't know that that was. I didn't know that that was a thing. I feel embarrassed. I didn't either till I met him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it's definitely interesting, and so that's what made um, my organization, which is Raymond Green International Outreach. That's what made it. Uh, him being international, which made it international because I was so taken with the stateless people and stuff like that. But it, it, it you, you just got to check it out. You got to check it out. Check him out and um, see. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about um, the nonprofit. Well, that's what we do. We do um, cold cases, and we are we are working now on uh, Walk for the Missing that's coming up. We just we haven't got the demographics yet because what we was trying to do, the city got to approve it and they haven't approved it yet. Um, and then in July, the end of July, we're doing a retreat for just women, women and children is missing and murdered just to pamper them, give them some information, give them some counseling, you know, just kind of give them a day, a weekend that they can just look at, take care of themselves. Because I know with me. With Raymond missing, that's always on the back of my, that's always in the back of my mind, you know, everywhere I go and everything I do. It's like my existence is, I got this son that's missing and I'm trying, I want to bring him home, you know. So, um, and I hear so many stories of the parents, you know, how they hope they don't die before they get home. And I, I actually had a friend of mine that her child was missing, been missing for about 15 years now, but the the dad died still looking for his daughter, never got any answers and everything. So um, that's the stuff that we do. You know, we we just, we we do the spotlight. That's one of our main things. And then we got the show, my show. And then we also go out, I go out and I speak, you know, talk about safety, education, prevention and awareness. So yeah, we do the flyers and we, you know, we do all that as well. I love that uh, mental health aspect that you uh, touched upon where you realize that these people just need like a little pampering. They just need a day to take their mind a little bit away from it. And uh, that's a really uh, great thing that you've, you're, you've uh, discovered there because I don't know if a lot of people understand just this 
constant stress that's always there for for especially parents i want to give what i didn't have i guess that's 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 pretty much it the things that i didn't have like i wished i had somebody to at that time just to put my put their arms around me and tell me it was going to be okay or they right here they i didn't have that i wish the police had to really act like they cared about us raymond and i i didn't have that you know, I, I I just wish so sometimes when people really act like they care, it kind of just blows me away. Like, because I'm so used to nobody. I know how to live the life of nobody caring. But when people genuinely care, it's just it's amazing to me. Like, like what you guys are doing. I think that's amazing. You don't have anybody that's missing, but you give up all this time and all this. You could be doing a whole lot of other stuff. But look at what you're doing. I just think that's amazing. And the people that you come in contact with, you're blessing them. You, you're blessing them just with what you're doing. And to you, it may not seem like nothing, but it's a whole lot to somebody that, you know, you reaching out to saying, hey, look, I, I heard about your story. I'm interested in it. I'm Really, you care that much. You want to do that. You know, you don't have, as they say, no dog in the fight or whatever like that. But you right there, you you want to do what you can. That's amazing to me. You know, I think you guys are awesome. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks so much. We think you're awesome. I, I mean, ju- just to be able to do what you do and raise awareness for other cases, I think was what, what sort of really was the first part that blew us away about your story. Um, you know, uh, obviously you've got the, the tragedy of losing your son at, at five days old um, and you, uh, focus and you spotlight other cases and and spotlight by the way that what what you told us before that is sort of walking around the neighborhood and and talking to people about those cases right yeah um, yeah because you know maybe back then when nobody like for instance with my case the girl actually did get off the bus somebody told me that they saw her uh, saw her get in they saw a lady with the baby get into a, um, and I'm gonna make the connection. They saw a lady with the baby get into a brown car and pull off quickly. But my next door neighbor told me just last year, she was my next door neighbor for years, told me just last year, yeah, the lady got out. Yeah, I saw that lady that took your baby down. I saw her when she got off the bus. I saw her when she got off the bus and she asked me, where did you live? And I asked her why. She said that she had met you at the house pillar and this, that, and the other. She said, I pointed to your door. She said, I even seen her sitting on the front porch with the baby. And I asked her, I said, did you tell the police all that? And she said, no. I said, why? She said, because I didn't want to get involved. Now, think about this. Had she said something then, the police could have asked the bus drivers. They could have talked to the bus drivers. They could have, you know what I'm saying? They could have seen where where she was picked up from. They could have did, but she didn't give that information. She didn't give that information. I just got that information out of her last week, the last year. And this was 40 something years ago. So I think about those other parents and everything that, you know, maybe in that area now, somebody may remember something and they want to talk about it now. They didn't want to talk about it then, but they want to talk about it now. So we go in that area and we just give out flyers and stop people and talk to people and stop cars or whatever we do, you know, to just let them know, hey, this happened over here years ago, blah, blah. You just never know. That's an infuriating story. And I can't believe that she just told you this after so long. And it it really highlights something that we hear a lot, which is um, there's so many people like witnesses and, you know, it's why isn't anyone saying anything? And it really is just this, the simple, but yet complicated human nature where you, her answer to you was, I didn't want to get involved. That was, that was her reason. And there's nothing deeper. I I don't want to get involved. And for whatever reason, that was it. And, and I think it's a reality check. That's like a splash of cold water to your face where you're like, yeah, there's nothing deeper than that. Like there's nothing, nothing deeper. You just didn't want to get involved. Like, that's incredible. That's something that you had to, I had to check myself with because I'm thinking to myself, my baby was stolen. You had information that you held back. Why would you do that? You know, but then I had to just really check myself and say, okay, for whatever reason, that's where she, that, that's where she was at. You know, and then I asked her in a calm voice, so you didn't want to talk to the police about it or anything like that? And you knew what was going on? 
She's like, no, I don't, I don't want to get involved. I didn't want, you know, I, you know, so yeah. It, 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 and, and just like you said, it's really nothing deeper than that. She just didn't want to get involved. Okay. So where do you uh, start when you're looking for an individual who has no photos of them? I mean, five days old. How do you even put a, an image out there and say, this is what he would look like today? Well, what they did was they took all of my kids. I got seven kids. Raymond was number two and seven. I got seven children. And since all seven children belong to my husband, all they did was just took all our pictures and made the image of what he may look like. And I got that like 25 years later. Because when I think of Raymond, I always think of that little baby that was laying on the sofa. In my head, I'd never seen him as a grown man until I got that picture from National Missing Children. And then I seen him as a grown man, and I'm like, wow, you know. But I never had a picture of him. I, I never, he, I had only been home two, two and a half days, you know, from the hospital. So I, I never had a picture of him or anything to, um, to show somebody, say, hey, this is my baby. You know, I, I just didn't. And that, that's another thing, you know, so. Raymond's case within itself, I heard I heard one of the uh, one of the FBI agents told me he'll go to his grave scratching his head about Raymond case. Like, how can you lose a case, an infant case? How can you, you know, so many howls, howls, howls. So, yeah. Do you think that Raymond is out there somewhere and he doesn't ever know he was missing? I believe that. I believe that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm, I'm I want to get a billboard up, because if he's in Atlanta. If he's in Atlanta, Atlanta, in Georgia, anywhere, if I got a billboard up, maybe somebody can say, hey, look, I see a picture on the billboard that, you know, did you ever check it out? You always say you thought something was different in your family dynamics or whatever. Maybe you need to check this out. You just never know. You know, I know, I know, I believe he's going to come home. I believe that because I got hope. Hope makes me not ashamed or afraid of the fact that he won't come home. I believe he will. I believe there's more work to do. And, and so his, his missing, him being missing is not, it's not going to go undone. I'm, I'm going to help whoever I can, however I can on my journey of trying to find him to bring him home. And I do believe he'll be home one day. I don't know how, but I'm going to do everything in my power to, to, to see to it. So all the crazy stuff that I think about, I just act on it. You never know. What's uh, super remarkable about this is for people who are listening and not watching this, um, you've maintained a smile pretty much through this, this entire interview. And when we first talked to you, you said that you uh, enjoyed it having, I think, the, the second half of your radio show just be all about laughter. Um, and yeah. and that, that stuck with me. And how, how, how much do you value laughter and, and a good sense of humor and, and just finding sort of the brightness in, in all of all of the garbage that happens. Well, the Bible said laughter is like a medicine, you know, and we get to choose how we live our life and we get we get to choose how we react to what's going on in our life. And I could be down and and, and, and out because things happen, you know. But uh I love to laugh and and it, Life is interesting by itself. It, it, it can be hard and very complicated if if you allow it to be. But you can find laughter. I've sat at a funeral and found laughter in something at the funeral. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just how you how you how you view things. My life was hard. It wasn't easy uh, at all for me. And then with Raymond being taken and all that I had to go through on my own. If I didn't find a way to smile to laugh, then I would have been most miserable. So. I love to laugh, and, and I, I so I even when people are coming at me in different ways, you know, I'm I know how to just turn that around in my head, you know, just turn it around in my head. Yeah, so I, everything is not bad. Life is life is complicated, but life is beautiful.
When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait.